Hey, 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 what's going on? Jonathan Silver from the Silver Special presented to you by Backseat Banter and the Banter Broadcast. It is a pleasure to have you on the show today. In this installment of the Silver Special, we are going to be talking about the forgotten NBA players. Um, we're going to do this as a, a series. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, ISO Joe. Iso Joe Johnson, um, one of my favorite players uh, growing up and definitely left his mark on the NBA, uh, really making the mold for what an ISO player should be in the modern day era. Um, and maybe Joe Johnson ran, so James Harden will fly, who knows. But uh, before we get into the episode, a word from uh, another podcast. Thank you so much for staying around. I know um you guys are excited to hear what we got going on but before we get into the episode we are affiliated with audible so every time you use our affiliated link you can find it on our instagram twitter everywhere our website um we get a little cut back so it helps the channel but if you guys do sign up for a 30 day free trial um we get five bucks in return and uh, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. It helps the channel out. And it's also a really good streaming service. Not to mention, we are also on there. Uh, you can stream our podcasts on Audible. So um, really cool stuff we got going on there. But let's get into the episode. Joe Johnson, seven-time NBA All-Star, uh, five consecutive times he made the All-Star game. He had a, a hell of a career. He played for Phoenix, Atlanta, Brooklyn, Miami, Utah, and Houston throughout his very, very um, esteemed career. Uh, he also played for the U.S. national team. Uh, he won bronze in 2006 for the FIBA World Cup. Uh, really cool stuff for Joe Johnson, but I, I want to highlight his play for a little bit. Um, Joe Johnson entered the year in 2001 uh, as a rookie uh, to the Boston Celtics, where he entered as the 10th overall pick, but Boston really, really didn't like uh, how he fit on their team. Uh, eventually, they traded him in 2002, for, uh, it was a package including him himself, uh, Milt Palacio, and Randy Brown. To uh, They sent those players to Phoenix, and Phoenix sent Tony Delk and Rodney Rogers, uh, who weren't too bad for the Celtics, but they were only role players. They The Celtics really uh, missed the ball here, trading Joe Johnson, who would go on to be a seven-time NBA All-Star and uh, be one of the 46 players to hit 20,000 points. Um, they, yeah, they, they kind of dropped the ball there, but, um, he also played in Phoenix, uh, as I just mentioned, he was traded there. Uh, he played with Steve Nash, uh, during his MVP year in 2004, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, and they all played under the coach, the seven seconds or less offense, Mike D'Antoni. Um, this is where Joe Johnson really, uh, put his name out there and started flourishing in a team that was really, you know, one of the favorites to win the championship that year. Um, he wasn't a main role in it. Obviously Nash and Stoudemire were the two main guys. And then Sean Marion was that third guy that they relied on. But I was really, really a big fan of how he was able to make a name for himself in such a star set team. And they were very successful in, Phoenix. Um, but let's look at his play for a second. Um, Joe Johnson is the greatest, one of the greatest. I don't want to say the greatest because there are a lot of great ones. Isolation scorers in this era of basketball. Um, I want to put him 
behind Carmelo Anthony because Carmelo Anthony really made a superstar name out of himself, especially being in New York um, by playing isolation basketball and really scoring at will at times. So James Johnson, uh, Joe Johnson, apologies, did this on a lesser level. Um, not really, though. Uh, lesser market. You, you, you compare New York and Atlanta at the time. Atlanta really wasn't um, seen as a team or a market that was suitable for making superstars. But we'll get into Atlanta in a minute. Um, just wanted to round out uh, his time at Phoenix. He averaged 16 points per game there. And that's that's kind of hard when obviously you have a distributor like Steve Nash who's going to give you a lot of touches. But he's got a lot of names on that team that kind of overshadowed him a little bit. But he was still able to, to be a dog and, and muster up some points in a championship contending team. And when restricted free agency came around, he wanted to move on and be a main guy on a team, which was his big, um, you know, thing that he had going for him. He, he, the Suns wanted to originally match the $70 million contract that um, Atlanta originally offered to him, but he was really set on being the main guy on the team. And then he convinced the Suns to, to not match Atlanta's offer. And he became an Atlanta Hawk. Uh, I believe he did a sign and trade for Boris Diaw and a draft pick. So at Atlanta got their star in, in Joe Johnson and uh, the, the Suns didn't do too bad. They got a, a future all-star, uh, not all-star, future champion Boris Diaw with the San Antonio Spurs. So not, not too shabby of a trade, but obviously when a, a person wants to be on the move, you don't want to keep them hostage um, on a team like that. So 2005, Joe Johnson is traded to the Atlanta Hawks in a sign and trade, and he really took a jump when he joined Atlanta. From, two, uh, from 2005 to 2006, where he played all 82 games, he averaged 20 points per game and took a big jump scoring. Being a player that can score 20 points per game is really, really something special, and he did that with ease. I mean, this guy was really off the charts, and was playing a lot of isolation basketball where in his seven years in Atlanta from 2005 to 2012, he was the ninth ranked scorer in the league at, at one point. And that's a lot of praise because there's superstars up there and being able to be in the top 10 with some of those guys means that you are really competing at the highest level of basketball. So in his time in Atlanta, he kind of took the, the joke of a franchise Atlanta Hawks to a competitive team that needed some more respect to them because every year they were overlooked. They were going to be at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. They weren't going to make any noise. They weren't going to make any, they didn't have any chance to compete with the top tier teams. But when ISO Joe came around, uh, where funny enough, he nicknamed, he coined his nickname uh, ISO Joe while, while he played in Atlanta. Um, he was he became one of the 46 players in NBA history to score over 20,000 points. So when I say he really took a jump when he went to Atlanta, I'm not, I'm not downplaying it. This guy was an absolute stud who really sparked the respect for Atlanta sports. Um, there was one moment, one moment <laughs> that defined this team. And it was when they took the one seed Boston Celtics who were the heavy favorite to win the NBA championship with Kevin Garnett 
and uh, Paul Pierce and all those guys, his former team, he took those guys to seven games in the first round of the 2008 playoffs. Joe Johnson, not the Atlanta Hawks, Joe Johnson. I mean, he was the Atlanta Hawks. Yes, they did have an, a few pieces around him, but he was really the main guy who sparked this team. Uh, he then went on to sign a six-year, $123.7 million deal in 2010, making him the highest NBA player, uh, highest paid player at the time. Uh, this was also the year where Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Dirk Nowitzki, Amari Stoudemire, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, uh, yeah, they, they all got paid. So him being the highest paid at the time was not something um, to be taken lightly. Uh, you know, Joe Johnson was one of my favorite players at the time. And to see him get paid and, and get the money, get the bag, as everyone likes to say, uh, after performing at such a high level for so many years, it, it kind of felt deserving because he really put Atlanta on the map. He put Atlanta sports on the map. And it's crazy how he's one of the most forgotten players in NBA history. And he's one of the 46 to score 20,000. We'll go into that uh, in just a little bit after we finish highlighting his career and some of the accolades he was able to accomplish. But definitely Joe Johnson deserves some more respect when it comes to put uh, Atlanta sports in general and as a scorer in NBA history, period. Um, he's one of the best to ever play isolation basketball. And that is not to be said lightly. There are a lot of great players that did it. And Joe Johnson's name will be forever engraved, uh, intertwined with these names because of the nickname ISO Joe. Moving on to his time in Brooklyn, um, you know, after he signed that six-year deal, he played two more years for Atlanta before being traded. They were like, this isn't the future we want to build. They want to build more of a, a pass-first team rather than an isolation game because the NBA was kind of being molded into the Spurs way of basketball, which was, you know, team-oriented and getting everybody involved. And it was kind of hard to do that with your main scoring option being an isolation player rather than, you know, distributing the ball and having a facilitator. Um, this is where we really start the NBA to uh, see to change and kind of made Joe Johnson fall off the map a little bit. Um, he was still regarded as one of the best scorers, which is why Brooklyn decided to invest in Joe Johnson uh, in 2012. He went from playing shooting guard his whole career, one of the best shooting guards to play isolation basketball um he went on to play small forward in his last year in brooklyn and then played the rest of his career as a small forward his notable teammates in brooklyn obviously kevin garnett paul pierce and darren williams we all know uh the the deal that boston did uh to ship kevin garnett and paul pierce to brooklyn and received so many assets in return uh, this team had so many expectations going into the season. Darren Williams was even considered as a, a top five point guard in the NBA uh, during some of these 10 years. Um, but, I mean, you, you have a roster, Darren Williams, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Joe Johnson, you are expected to win. But this was at a time where the, the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers, the LeBron-led Heat and the, the Paul George-led Pacers were sitting atop at, of the East and they were the number one, two seeds flip-flopping every year. But this time Brooklyn was cons uh, considered a dark horse candidate 
to win the Eastern Conference, but never was considered a favorite just because they had such elite talent um, facing off against them. Uh, the, now that we look back on this team, we look back and say, oh, they were just a, a bunch of old guys who got overpaid and whatnot. But at the time, people really did respect them and, and they went toe to toe in the playoffs with some of the best teams, but never really could able, uh, were able to get past Miami. And that kind of really stunted Brooklyn's growth for a while. But um, I, I wouldn't say uh, they were halted by the presence of Joe Johnson. I believe the, the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade really um, screwed the franchise over because they just were in the latter half of their career and were getting ready to retire soon or getting shipped off elsewhere. So um, that trade really, really halted the Brooklyn Nets. But I mean, when, when we look at Joe Johnson, who, who quite frankly is the fourth best player on the team, if you wanna say it, um, it's not necessarily fair to say that because in Brooklyn, his, I mean, obviously his points dipped, uh, points per game dipped from Atlanta to Brooklyn because he's no longer that main scorer, that main guy. I mean, in Atlanta, he had uh, Paul Millsap who was emerging as a star and Josh Smith as well. So he, he wasn't by himself, but he was a main guy. When he goes to Brooklyn, he has a, a true point guard in Darren Williams. He has uh, one of the greatest power forwards of all time in Kevin Garnett, you thought I was going to say Paul Pierce. That's funny. Paul Pierce, an all right shooting guard, uh, small forward, but never really. No, nah, I'm playing. Uh, he's the truth. Uh, he got that nickname for a reason. He's really good at basketball, just not better than Dwayne Wade. Um, but Brooklyn definitely, definitely was the point in his career where he started to descend from the stardom that he created in Atlanta. He went from scoring 20 points per game to like a measly 15 to 10 points per game in Brooklyn. Um, that's more in part of how deep the team was. He joined like a bootleg super team, if we want to call Brooklyn that. But th those teams were fun to watch. Um, just it didn't really fit with Joe Johnson's isolation style of play. They, they had a, a point guard like Darren Williams who was supposed to distribute the ball. And then you get a ball hog like Joe Johnson and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce all wanting the ball at the same time it doesn't really, you know, make for a successful team. But we, we go into 2015 and he was released mid-season in 2015 after playing three seasons with Brooklyn and went on to join the Miami Heat uh, in the post-LeBron era. So he went on to finish the 2015-2016 season um, in Miami. He played the, the last 24 games for the Heat after he was waived by Brooklyn and, and then Miami Heat signed him off, claimed him off the waivers. Um, you know, this was the year Chris Bosh went down with blood clots um, post LeBron era, as I mentioned before. So their best attraction was Hassan Whiteside. And then the next King, which uh, <laughs> is what Heat fans like to call him, Luol Deng. Uh, but Dwayne Wade, obviously nearing the, the end of his, out of his prime already. And then Goran Dragic, who is uh, the really good point guard that they got and really paid out for them. But he went on to join this team. Um, as I said, missing Chris, Chris Bosh, they needed another forward to play with them. And he transitioned to playing small forward uh, towards the latter half of his career. And Miami kind of desperately needed him. So they 
the team finished 48 and 34, which was third seed in the Eastern Conference behind Cleveland and Toronto, the LeBron led Cleveland Cavaliers. And then we all know uh, Toronto um, eventually uh, knocked out Miami in the playoffs this year. But um, Joe Johnson was spectacular for this team, bringing a spark to the team off the bench, which they so desperately needed because they Luol Deng inserted to the starting lineup with Chris Bosh. He had a lot of more responsibility and the team lost a 20 points per game scorer all of a sudden midseason. And they kind of were in shambles. They didn't know what to do. They picked up Joe Johnson and he plugged into the team so perfectly coming off the bench, making the team better, you know, giving that team a spark off the bench. And, you know, one, one of the fan favorites in Miami that season, just because of what he was able to do for the team. Yes. Uh, they beat Charlotte in the first round. It's seven games. It was a, a really uh, well-fought series. Uh, if you guys recall, Kemba Walker was playing out of his mind, and Dwayne Wade was uh, playing out of his mind as well. One of the most fun series I've ever watched. But um, they lost to Toronto in seven games in the second round. And, you, you know, LeBron uh, made Toronto LeBronto that year. So, um yeah, that's just uh, his career in 2015, 2016. Uh, I don't know why he's so overlooked as a player because he, this next uh, year for the Utah Jazz was something really, really special for him. Um, kind of put a stamp on his career that I don't understand why it's overlooked. He signed a two-year, $22 million deal with Utah uh, to be Gordon Hayward's backup. That's fine and dandy. He, he proved in Miami that he could be a good role player, a good bench player to come in and give you a spark. So that's what he was going to do. But unfortunately, Gordon Hayward went down with an injury this year. And, you know, Joe Johnson had to step up and play a key role for this team coming in scoring um, off the bench. He's inserted to the starting lineup. And you know what? Joe Johnson probably hit one of his most memorable shots in in utah in the first round of the playoffs against the clippers he hit a game-winning floater in the first game in the first game of, of the playoffs over deandre jordan and jamal crawford to win the game a game-winning floater in his what in 2017 and he entered the league in 2001 so um, he's been playing at this level quite some time and he comes in, gives that team veteran leadership and the Utah Jazz went on to eliminate the Chris Paul led Lob City Clippers in seven games. I mean, this was Utah's first playoff series win since 2010 and Joe Johnson played a key role in allowing Utah to win the series. This is when Utah was with Gordon Hayward and they had all that hype around him because they were playing so well. Um, I, it just goes to show you what what Joe Johnson can do to help your franchise win and help your franchise, you know, take down some early playoff teams. That's that's the thing. He never really found success um, too deep into the playoffs. He was always eliminated, maybe because of his team, maybe because he wanted to be that number one guy and have that offense run through him rather than taking, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, a Chris Bosh role in the big three that, you know, if, if he did that in his prime, maybe he would be respected more as like a top tier player, but he's often forgotten because uh, these, these last two years in the NBA, he played for the Houston Rockets um, where he had a small role. He was more of a veteran presence in the locker room. Like we see 
a lot of veteran players just get a contract and, and be like another coach. Um, then he signed a, he was, he was signed to the Pistons, but then was waived right before the season started. So he, he, his last two years were kind of a blur. We never really got to see him, you know, sign that one, one day contract with Atlanta that would have made it, uh, come all back around full circle. Um, you know, it, it, it's a pain because Joe Johnson was such a great player. I just showed you guys how great of a player he was throughout his entire career. I mean, one of the 46 players of all time to score 20,000 points. That's no light feat. He's very high up there in the all-time scoring list, and it's well-deserved. Uh, he's probably one of the most fun players to watch uh, in this era. But let's, let's talk about why he is forgotten. He was overlooked by so many people during this era because he was not a Kobe. He was not a LeBron. He was not a Dwayne Wade. He was not a Carmelo Anthony. You know what stands out about all these guys? Kobe, Los Angeles market. LeBron James, Miami, Cleveland. He, he made Cleveland a, a big, market, big market team at the time. Um, Dwayne Wade, Miami, big team, big market team. Carmelo Anthony, New York Knicks, the biggest market. So those superstars are in the biggest markets. And Joe Johnson was a superstar in a small market. So he definitely got his bag from a smaller market team because when a small market gets a, a superstar, um, they want to pay him. And Joe Johnson definitely was their superstar for a while, but people didn't regard him as a top tier superstar like these guys that I've forementioned. It's, it's just a shame because of how that defined his career. Let's say you swap him and Melo. Say he was the, the isolation scorer in New York. Maybe he's regarded as a greater player because Carmelo Anthony is kind of the same thing. Very good isolation basketball player. Doesn't like to pass a lot and wants to be the center of a team. Say we flip-flop those two. And Joe Johnson finished his or played the majority of his career in New York instead of Carmelo. I feel like uh, Joe Johnson would be regarded as one of the best isolation scorers, even more so because he would just be what Melo was. He would he would fit with New York. He would do all these things just because he was on a smart smaller market team. I believe he's being. Um, forgotten much much more easier he was really good at isolation basketball which was that was his thing iso joe um but that started to go out of fashion as well which is also why he is overlooked um i i mentioned before the spurs basketball the the movement you know getting everybody involved on the team you can't really do that with just one guy being your main scorer and not have your best player be a facilitator um we saw that kind of shift the landscape of the NBA um, as the time went on and players like Joe Johnson are forgotten because um, they were in the era prior to the movement basketball. They were in isolation era and getting the ball on, on the top of the key and making four dribble moves and getting a bucket every single time. And people overlook how important those kind of players were to their teams. Um, another reason he's overlooked Atlanta went on to win 60 games in 2014, 2015, making it seem as if he was limiting them in a sense that they, the post Joe Johnson era in Atlanta was better. But in reality, he was the reason that they were put on the map. And without Joe Johnson, the 60 game 
team where, you know, Kyle Korver and Jeff Teague and Al Horford, you know, it, it's just kind of crazy that without Joe Johnson, that wouldn't have been able to be possible because he put Atlanta on the map and Atlanta sports should give him more respect because he deserves it. And you know what? It's, it's kind of a shame that he's overlooked and not really talked about anymore. Um, he was never the main guy on a championship contending team. Although he was such an elite scorer, he did not want to take a backseat to other superstars. Uh, he wanted to just get his bucket, get his money and, and try and win the game himself, which I, I commend. But when you're, when you're looking at all time, great players, they found success in the cha- in championships. They found success in, in different other ways rather than scoring all around type of guys, but he never really was that. He was only an elite scorer, and that's about it. That's what you're getting from Joe Johnson. But he was really elite when it comes to scoring. I'm telling you, breaking down every defender that was in front of him, and they they had no chance when you got Joe Johnson and ISO. You had to throw two guys at him, and he'd still score. Um, with that being said, we're going to look at where is Joe Johnson now. ISO Joe went on to join the big three league, Ice Cube's big three league, in March 2019, he won actually uh, the Big Three MVP and won his first Big Three championship with the the triplets. It was just something really cool to see, you know, where veteran players can go and play basketball professionally against other old veteran retired NBA players and and cool competition. But you know, he he stood out then and he stood out in the NBA as well. Obviously, an elite isolation scorer is going to dominate in a three-on-three setting, which is exactly what he did. So I'm not surprised he went on to go win the MVP there and win a championship there. Um, Then he went on to play. He's currently playing, actually, in the basketball tournament, which was founded in 2014. And it's a $1 million winner-takes-all kind of pot. And it's one elimination so you lose, you're out. But he, he's playing for the Overseas Elite, which are a team that have <laughs> won four consecutive years uh, from 2015 to 2018. And he played for the, the Overseas Elite and won a 2018 championship. And he's currently playing on this team still. And that is where Joe Johnson is currently today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Silver Special where I, Jonathan Silver from Backseat Banter, brought to you by Banter Broadcast, break down where this former NBA great scorer uh, currently lies on, you know, the, the spectrum of NBA players and where he currently is and his career after the NBA. If you guys love this video, make sure to leave a like, comment, and consider subscribing. If you are listening on Apple or Spotify or your preferred streaming service, make sure to consider subscribing and leaving a good rating. This has been Jonathan Silver from The Silver Special. Backseat Panther out.